And one of the things we're trying to do with that is to get people to understand how good God is. I think most people go through life thinking that God is, is different than who he really is. In other words, <laughs> I've, uh, I've heard people pray things like this. They'll say, well, God, would you please heal my friend? They're faithful to church. They've been so faithful to you. They're a good person. They, you know, they double knot their shoes and they, you know, only they eat some vegetables every day. And, they, you know, like, like, like somehow that the person, if they're good enough, then maybe, just maybe God will heal them, right? How many of you know that God's goodness is not reliant upon my behavior? Did you hear what I said? God's goodness is not conditional upon or reliant upon my behavior to be good or not. He just loves me. Now, I'm, my children are wonderful, but as some of you may know, they're not perfect. I know. What? Are you serious? They're not. But the thing about it is I love them whether they're perfect or not, and I still want to give them good things. Right? I still want to bless them. I still want to give them Easter baskets, you know, and take them to fun places and out to, you know, food that we probably shouldn't be eating, but we like it, so we're going to do it anyway, that kind of thing, right? And I just want us to, just this morning, just to remember once again that, you know, we, our first core value, God is good. He's really good. And he really loves us, right? And we've gone through several of these, and if you haven't listened to the, some of the podcasts or been able to be with us, we want to encourage you to do that. Because this morning, as we get to the fifth core value, last week, let me just say thank you to Ollie. Did a great job last Sunday bringing, talking about the presence of God. Thanks, Ollie. And a uh, little time out here. We're just going to take a diversion. And uh, Tammy Fisher and her team with the pancakes this morning. How many are thankful for pancakes today? <laughs> right? <laughs> it was so great. I got up this morning. I'm like, oh, we don't have to feed them. Let's just take them to church and let them eat there. It's going to be so awesome. So thank you, Tammy, for the great that. And Ollie, last week, thanks for bringing the word and, and uh, focused on his presence. That was core value number four. This morning, we're going to be talking about creating healthy families. And uh, I know it's Easter. And about four weeks ago, I was in the prayer room, and I was just saying, God, what, are, what do you want to do? Where, where are we going? And I began to pray on, uh, over our Easter Sunday morning and what, what did God want to do. And, and I saw that our core value for Easter Sunday was creating healthy families. And my first thought was, God, what are we, what are we doing there? What do you want to do with families in Easter? I'm not really sure how that fits together. Well, how many of you know that God knows what he's doing? Anybody? Amen. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to take a little journey through Romans chapter 8. And uh, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start with verse 3. We'll get to that in just a second. But one of the things I love about Easter, and I love, really, about all of Christianity and everything that God is doing in his kingdom, I love that God has interjected himself into the normal course of human history to change some things. I began to think this week all about how, about sin. <laughs> Not about sinning. I wasn't going to, you know, I didn't want to walk down that road, but just the idea of sin and how sin has ripped us off. You know, I began to think about the bondage and the death that I see in people, that I see in this world around us, all the guilt and shame and sadness 
Now, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means all of us can identify with feeling shame or guilt or sadness or remorse, right? Uh, purposelessness, right? Loneliness, weakness, brokenness, hopelessness. Anybody ever felt hopeless in their lives, right? See, do you realize that all of those things and more are the direct result of sin entering this world? You know, there is a devil, and he's messing with you. There is nothing that the enemy of your soul wants more than to rip you off and to live a a life that is less than what God intends for you, where God intends hope and life and power and his resurrection power flowing through us. On the other side, the enemy is trying to rip you off and fill your head with lies, to fill your, your, your soul with lies and with hopelessness and loneliness and all of these, these horrible things brought on by sin. And I just start to get mad. Anybody ever get mad, right, at the things that are happening? Ever, anybody ever look at your, your, your relatives or your friends and you just go, oh, I'm so mad at the devil for, for allowing that to take place in their life. This last week, I was talking with some people, and, and I just, there was, there was a, so much of a hopelessness in their conversation. See, I believe that a lot of times hopelessness and purposelessness and some of these things, it all has to do with what, what someone believes. In fact, you are, and I am, what we believe. The reality of our life is, is what we believe. Either we believe the goodness and we live accordingly, or we, live, or we believe a lie, and we live that accordingly. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast this week by a gentleman by the name of Steve Backland, and some of you know him, and the title of his message was, the title of his message, he was talking about mindsets and declarations, and uh, have you ever heard the, the phrase when somebody says, who do you think you are? That's usually a negative, right? And someone's like, who do you think you are, you know? But his message was, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Because as I think, so am I, right? If I believe that I'm a, now here's my phrase, right? We talked about this. If I believe I'm just a sinner saved by grace, then I will live more often than not just as a sinner because I'm identifying with being a sinner saved by grace. When in reality, the truth is, I was a sinner, then I was saved by grace, and now you know what the Bible calls me? A saint, a holy one, a separated one, somebody who's different, right? And so if I believe that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I'm going to be struggling with sin a lot. I'm going to be over here like, I'll sin and then I want his grace, and then I'll sin and then I want his grace. But how many of you know God doesn't want you just spinning your wheels in this kind of thing? He actually wants you to move into being a saint, he wants you to move from being an orphan and, though, and someone who thinks they're not good enough to someone who is literally a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Because I will tell you, that is what he says you are. When someone accepts Christ, now this is Easter Sunday, and so it's all about the death of Jesus. Three days later, he rises again with resurrection power. And that is the cornerstone of everything we believe. <laughs> i got to be careful I don't get too far ahead of myself here. But 
The resurrection power that is in Jesus, do you know what the Bible says about it? Everybody go like this. Just put your hand on here. When I accept Jesus' forgiveness of his blood on the cross and his resurrection power, it says that Christ lives in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Do you realize that you don't have to sin every day of your life? (gasps) What? You really don't have to sin. I know I'm getting kind of crazy here, but because we've been taught our whole lives, well, you know, we're just sinners. No. Why don't we start getting in a different mindset that says, hey, because of his resurrection power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. Guess what? If Jesus lived sinless, I can do. That power now lives in me. But we've been so thought, taught to believe that, oh, you know, we're just going to get by and it's just... How many of you think it's time for us to live who we really are? Anybody? Like if Jesus actually says something about us, why don't we go with that? Can I get an amen? All right, good. Because I think we're on the same page here. Let's do it. So go to Romans chapter 8. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says this. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It says this, God sent us his son in human form to identify with human weakness. Anybody say amen to that? (laughs) Like he's not just God up in heaven. He's actually God here on earth. And and he says he understands our journey. He understands this planet and all the, the garbage that the devil wants to do, right? It says he came in human form to identify with human weakness. That doesn't mean he sinned. That just means he understands, amen? Then it says, clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all, everybody say once and for all, once and for all, condemn the guilt and power of sin. You know, don't you love it? The devil's always trying to give us condemnation and guilt, right? Because of sin. But the Bible actually says he's the one that is condemned and has guilt. That he condemns the, and uh, Jesus through his resurrection power has condemned sin and guilt over here. I don't have to live there anymore because he already stomped it into the ground. That is good news. Amen. And it, I love it. it says to condemn the guilt and power of sin. You know, something has power when we give it power. Right? We, if something has authority with us if we give it authority over us. <laughs> I, think it's time that, I think it's time that we reject the power of the enemy and start living in the power of the risen God. Amen? Like, I think it's time we stop agreeing and giving authority to the lies and the, and the, the condemnation and the guilt of the enemy when God has already taken care of that. Amen? And live in the newness and the, newness and the power of life. Amen? I do what you love once and for all. I know this is crazy theology to some people, but do you know that Jesus has already forgiven you for the sins you're going to commit? He took care of everything all the way back for every humankind, every human being, all the way back for all of time in the past, the present, and the future. Now, of course, if you don't understand his love and his grace, you would interpret that to mean, well, I can do whatever I want and just sin and God will, God will forgive me, <laughs> right? And, and I suppose he can because his grace is big enough for that. But let me tell you something. He doesn't want you living that way. 
Anybody ever, uh, okay, I don't want any details, but how many of you raise your hand and say you sinned this week? You did something that you wish you hadn't done. Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay. Guess what? It's already forgiven. It's gone. Right? It is. It's under the blood. It's already forgiven. But what do we do? We tend to stay in it, don't we? Like, like I have, a, I have this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, this, this thing, like, I don't know if you've ever seen in movies where sometimes Catholic priests or something, they'll take that thing and they whip themselves on the back, you know? Like, I think it's called slow flagellation, you know? You just whip yourself and you beat yourself up. Sometimes the, sometimes the devil doesn't even need to do anything, right? <laughs> like, we just beat ourselves up. And we say, oh, I did that sin again. Oh, like this. Here's the thing. Once and for all, he took care of sin. Once and for all. So just close your eyes and thank him for that right now. Just, just in your own way, just say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Because here's the thing. He wants you to not live under the guilt and condemnation and the power of sin. It says he's already condemned that. He's already taken care of that. And once and for all, he's given us newness of life. You want to just thank him for that this morning? Thank you, Jesus. So now it says in verse 4, so now every righteous requirement of the law. So let me just pause there for a second. Paul is talking to Jews that were raised in a Jewish religious environment. And if you study the Old Testament, we're not going to take a trip there this morning. It's too long of a journey. But the idea for the Jewish people was that they lived a very religious existence. A lot of rules, a lot of regulations, not a, a lot of laws, you know, the Ten Commandments. And anybody ever tried to wade through uh, like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and some of these? I'm like, wow. Do you, okay. How many of you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy? Have you, have you read these? Okay. Have you ever read them and you just go, oh, <laughs> like, like, oh, really? Like, like they hardly could walk out of their tent without doing something wrong, you know? And the idea was that they were moving from slavery to sonship, and, and they had to have a journey, and that was their journey, all right? So, but, but you can imagine the weight of, of religion, even in, the, even in that Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament now, in Romans, when Jesus is on the scene, the religious community has piled on hundreds and hundreds more regulations, more rules of how to live and what to do and what not to do and what clothing to wear. And, can you, I mean, your shoulders just kind of go like this, right? Because it's just too much. And it says here in Romans, it's, it, Romans as a whole talks about how the law wasn't enough to save anyone. We needed Jesus. That's basically what Romans is talking about. And he says that the requirements of the law was just too much for mankind. And he says, so now, through Jesus and his death and resurrection, it says this. So now every, everybody say every. Every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. I don't know if you got that. But you know what that says? It frees me from having to live religious and it frees me from having to live under rules and regulations and everything. Like, there is so much freedom that God wants us to walk in. Why? Because he already fulfilled it all. You don't have to bring a lamb or a dove or some kind of sacrifice and have its blood shed for you. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world shed his blood 
and in resurrection power rose again so that we can walk free from all of that in a new, in a new way of living, a new life. Amen? And it goes on to say this. The anointed one living his life in us. And it says, and we are free. Everybody say free. And we are, turn to the person next to you, say free. Say, I am free. I am free to live not according to my flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I want to just tell you this morning, there is freedom that comes when we quit trying to do the right thing and dot all the I's and cross all the T's, and we simply let God's Holy Spirit live through us. Folks, if you are still trying to do the right thing because it's the right thing, you're going to fail. You're just, that's it, you're going to fail. And I was raised in church, as many of you know, and my parents were, you know, pastors and missionaries and teachers, and I've been in a lot of churches and all that stuff. And I think sometimes churches don't even try to do it, but you just kind of pick up this, I'm not good enough. Anybody ever feel that in church? I'm just not good. I'm not performing correctly. And there were times where, <laughs> of course, added pressure for the pastor's kid or the missionary kid. But people would, would look to me. Even my friends would go, well, you're the pastor's kid. You're not supposed to be doing that. And I'm like, so I'm going to do it more then. So there you go. You know, like, like, like I didn't even know what to do with it. But this religious expectation gets on us, Right? By the way, don't ever say to my kids, you can't do that because you're the pastor's kid. Because you know what I'm going to do? In the love of Jesus, I'm going to pinch you right here on this hanging down part under your arm. I'm just going to give you a little pinch right there just to let you know <laughs> that that is unacceptable. Amen? How many of you know that we don't live by some position? We live by what Christ has done and now in the fullness of life. Whether you're a pe- preacher's kid, deacon kid, teacher's kid, whatever. How many of you know we're all kids? in the family of God. We're going to get to that here in a second. So number one, God wants you free. He wants us free from all of this junk. But number two, God wants you alive. Do you know that God, his ultimate purpose for us is that we would fully live the life he wants us to live? Not under guilt and condemnation and all those things, but in the fullness of life. Moving on, Romans chapter 8. Jump down to verse 10, and it says this. Now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Can you just say this? I am fully accepted by God. Let me try it again. I am fully accepted by God. When I accept Jesus and his lordship and his salvation into my life, I am something I wasn't before. I am fully accepted by God. Not partially, not somewhat, but fully accepted by God. And it says here that he lives in us. He lives in us. Do you know that in John 10.10, many of you know the the passage in uh, Jesus' words. He says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it partially. What does it say? Abundantly. What does the word abundantly mean? You know, you get the idea of like a cup. You put it under the water, right? And you turn the water on. And then, you know, you fill it up a third and then a half. 
and then three quarters, and then what? You get to the top. Have you ever held it under the water? And it's just overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. Is there any, like, until somebody chooses to shut off the water, will it stop? No. You see, I think sometimes in our view of God, we think God only wants to give us a half a cup or a third a cup just to, you know, satiate our, our thirst just for a little bit. But you know what? I want you to imagine yourself, even in your mind, just picture yourself standing under a huge faucet, and, and if the water gets flipped on, and water is just pouring over you, just pouring. And you can almost imagine it, if you will, in your mind's eye, just water filling you up like from the inside. You see, that is God's picture for you. It's not that you would have just enough forgiveness of sin so you get to heaven someday. It's that you would fully live his kingdom life for you abundantly right now. That healing and, and restoration and favor and blessing. See, I think we need to lift our eyes on who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. I, so often, I think over the years, we've just kind of, we settle for just enough. When God doesn't want to give you just enough, he actually wants to fill your cup. There's an old hymn, some of you remember in the Pentecostal days of old, there was a song that went, fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord, come and quench this thirsting of my soul. And the idea was that we would put our, our, our cups, our containers of us, under that faucet, under that pit, spigot, and God would flick on the water and just water. And, and, you know, Jesus even said this, out of your innermost being will flow what? Rivers of living water. Oh, man. This last summer we were out in Colorado and we were at a river. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were at a river and... We were putting our tootsies in the river, and we were just experiencing the river. And you know what? A thought we did not have the whole time we were there was, we better hurry up and get wet because the river's going to stop. Like, we never had that thought. There was so much water just pouring down out of the mountains. There was never a thought in our mind, well, you know, we better get what we can because a little bit of wet, you know. It was as if this roaring rapids of water was coming in. And I want us to get that picture of God and his love and his blessing for us. It's not limited by our tiny little sins. And the only thing really that limits the power of God are the dams that we put up on the river. You see, with my faulty thinking, I can actually turn off that water. Or I can limit it. How many of you don't want to limit God's favor? How many of you want all that he has for us? Amen. So he says, listen, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We'll jump back to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He says this, yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. Did it take some power to raise a dead man from inside a tomb after being in there for three days? Did that take some power, do you think? If you read the story, we won't have time for it today, but if you read the resurrection story, the, the tomb stone actually, it, the, the picture is that it gets flicked aside, this huge, massive, you know, two-ton boulder or whatever, just flicked aside, and the angel's there, and Jesus comes out of the tomb, and he's in resurrection power. And, and you have to think that's a little bit of power, amen? I mean, what greater power do we have on our earth than the power to overcome death? 
There's, I mean, death is the final thing for most people, but not for God. And he says, listen, the same resurrection power is in yours and mine body. <laughs> Breathes life into you. You ever watch TV or movies and someone is, has been in the water and they almost drowned? You know, or someone gets shocked. I saw this in a movie not too long ago. They get shocked and then they stop breathing. And then the other person has to get on them. And what do they do? They start breathing life into them, right? And then, you know, the water comes out or they kind of jolt back to life. That's what Jesus does to us. He takes his life and he breathes it right into us. His resurrection life inside each and every one of us. The same resurrection power lives in you and I. Resurrection power in our spiritual lives. Resurrection power in our thinking and our identity. Resurrection power in our bodies, healing. Resurrection power in your finances and our jobs and our relationships with one another. I think it's time that we as a church start to really walk in that power. So here's what I want you to do. I want you just to think of an area of your life that is dead right now. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your body. Maybe there's something that's not, you know, it's not fully alive. Maybe it's a relationship with your kids or your parents or something like that. Or maybe you're, uh, you're just struggling spiritually. Maybe this idea of, of, uh, of being a son and a daughter of God is an area of, of death for you. You can't really relate to that. I want you just to close your eyes for a second today. And I'm just going to release resurrection power into that area of death in your life right now. And just say this, I receive resurrection power into this dead area of my life. And I want you just to envision it like that dead body coming back to life after having air breathed into their lungs. Resurrection power. I speak resurrection power right now over that, over that relationship with a, a daughter right now. I speak resurrection power over that relationship at work that, has, that seems to just be nothing but death and negativity right now. I speak resurrection power over areas of your body right now that are, that are dead, that are functioning in a, in, a, in, a, in a manner that is not resurrection. And I speak resurrection power over you right now. So here's what I want you to do. Say, I receive resurrection power. I receive resurrection power in that area of my life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Resurrection power. I'm thinking of, a, of a, a friend of mine right now who doesn't know Christ. And, Lord, I just speak resurrection power into his life right now. Resurrection power. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right. So God wants you free. He wants you alive. But guess what? It's not just that he wants you alive, and it's not just that he wants you free. Do you know he actually wants you in the family? God wants you in his family. Don't believe me? Let's read it. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says this. It says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. <laughs> you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Can I read that again? You did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Everybody look at me just for a second. You are good enough. You are good enough. 
you have Jesus in you, you're good enough. In fact, you're more than good enough. You have resurrection power in you. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sick of that lie of the devil always telling me, oh, you're not good enough in this or you're not good enough in that. I am good enough. It says right here. I have received the spirit of full acceptance. It says, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. Everybody just take your fingers and go like this. Enfolding. You know, that's actually what that word means. It means taking two things and putting them together. (laughs) God not only wants to save you and give you life, he actually wants you to be intimate with him. He wants you to be in an intimate place with him, the family of God, the family of God. And I began to think about, about this whole idea of the family of God. And the Bible talks about this several times. But he talks about, in one place, where it says, Jesus is my brother. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago, and in Ephesians we were talking about this, that God loves you and I exactly the same as he loves Jesus. It's Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's verse 6. It says that, that God the Father loves you and me exactly the same as he loves his son, Jesus. Now, doesn't that kind of blow your mind just a little bit? Like, like in our believing the lies and living in these death areas over here under the, what the enemy has for us, he does not want you to embrace that truth. The enemy of your soul wants you to think because of the weight of your sin, because of what you've done or not done, that that somehow makes you less than who God says you really are. He literally wants you and I to understand that he loves Jesus exactly the same as he loves us. And that you and I are actually brothers with Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the family of God. I just, I, how many of you need revelation in that, in that right there? Because I, I, I've been studying this and I've been praying this and I believe it for a long but it still blows my mind that, that the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it says have been together since, the, since before the dawn of time. They have no beginning and they have no end. And that family actually says this, hey, come on in. You get to be with us. You get to be in the family. Come on in. Come on in. I love you exactly the same as my son Jesus, who I've been with since the dawn of time. You, you get to be in the family. Hey, Ed, come on in. You're, you're in. You're in the family with me. Come on in. Who you are is not who you were. Because of my son Jesus, you now are in the family of God. See, when I was growing up, in fact, the Abbots, we... Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we used to sing a little bit back in the, in the old days, and we actually made a record. Do you know what a record is? You guys know what that is? All the young people are like, what? <laughs> it's like a big CD. You know, a record was like a big CD. And uh, the Abbott family made a record, and one of the songs that we sang on that and was a really one we sang a lot back in those days was uh, a song that was just, it was Family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. How many of you have been around and you know what song I'm talking about? You been around? Should I sing it? No, I won't. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. 
I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Right? Yeah, thank you, thank you. You can uh, check out my record on Amazon.com. <laughs> my, my daughter, Sydney, said, hey, Dad, do you think we could find that record on Amazon? I'm like, pretty sure no, honey. I'm not <laughs> it wasn't a bestseller. But, but I just remember, even since a kid, that song, you know, like, like sometimes we think the family of God means all, all of us hanging out together under God. You know what I mean? And I think that's true. I actually think we should have more pancakes and sausage together than we do. Amen? <laughs> like, we should hang out more together because we're actually in this together. Like, as if I'm a son of God, which the Bible says I am, and you're a daughter of God, and you're a daughter of God, if that is true, then not only my family with God, I'm a family with you guys. Like, we get to do this thing together. And how many of you know that the idea of creating healthy families not just in the heavenly realms with me and him and you, but actually with each other is something God really values. Because if he says, listen, you get to come in and be in my family, he's bringing you in under the blood of Jesus. He's bringing you in under complete holiness and completely sanctified and completely made holy. I think it, blows my, it just blows my mind because God says, you can't come into the family unless you accept the sacrifice of my son Jesus. But once you do, then you're in 100%. You're completely holy. I know. When I was growing up, I had a hard time with that word holy because holy to me meant I have to perform better. Right? But holiness isn't about my performance. It's about what Jesus has already done. And if I accept his blood and his forgiveness, that makes me holy. 100%. Remember we said he took care of sin once for all? Well, that actually means that. Every single sin I've ever committed and every single sin I will ever commit is actually taken care of by Jesus and the blood on the cross. It's amazing. So it goes on, though. It's so cool. It says, we've received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding me into the family of God. Anybody say amen with me on that one? So, and then it says, and you will never, everybody say never, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join with him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father. Well, first of all, let's start with this. I think most of the church of Jesus Christ a good portion of it, lives as orphans instead of heirs. I think we have too much orphan thinking. We identify too much with what an orphan thinks or feels. Never quite good enough. Always having to try to earn it and trying to grab things because we're not sure there's going to be a, an abundance. Versus living as an heir. That song I just sang, which I won't do again, one of the lines says, joint heirs with Jesus, which actually is, is meant several times in the New Testament. It talks about we're co-heirs with Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ. Every single inheritance and benefit that Jesus has by being the Son of God, we get it. Joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. 
I want you just to do this with your mind, just your fingers, and just envision yourself expanding our minds. Lord, just expand our minds in that area. Expand my heart in this area. Like, like let it grow, oh God, till I understand the fullness of being in your family. I never, ever, ever have to feel like an orphan ever again. Okay. So the Bible says, never feel orphaned. And yet, so many Christians feel orphaned. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why is it that our inheritance is that we're heirs and sons and daughters of the Most High God and we're in the family of God and God loves us exactly the same as he loves his son Jesus? And yet, there's so many people that live in the Christian realm like orphans. Somehow they're not good enough, or they have to perform, or, or somehow, uh, you know, God is unhappy with them because they're, they did this wrong, or this wrong, or this wrong. Why do you think that is? I'm actually asking a question. Anybody? Why do you think that is? What is it? Okay. Okay, the enemy for sure wants you dead, right? John 10, 10, he comes to steal the truth, to kill any life you have, and destroy God's purposes and plans for your life. So how many of you think the enemy's pretty happy when Christians are walking in orphans and that churches are often orphanages, right? We just, all these, and, and conflict and, and power struggles and, and weirdness and, and unacceptance and, and all those things that happen in churches. Is the devil happy with that? How do you think God feels about that? <laughs> kind of doing that thing again where everything I'm talking negative and about sin is on this half to you guys, and everything good and godly is you guys over here, you know. Well, tell you what, it's for all of us. See, the enemy is really happy when we are walking in the ways of steal, kill, and destroy. And God is really happy when we walk in the ways of I have come that they might have life abundantly. See, I think the reason that so much of the church and so many people in our world live in orphanages (laughs) is because they've chosen to believe the lie over the truth. I think people choose to believe the lies based on their circumstances as opposed to truth based on the Word of God. One of the things that I I learned with this... uh, in this podcast, I was telling you about the Steve Backlin pod, podcast. He says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Because who I think I am is how I act. So if I'm judgmental, if I'm critical, if I have uh, a lack of love for my fellow man and for my brothers and sisters in Christ, if I have thoughts that are, that are, that are hopeless, then I'm agreeing with the lies instead of the truth, aren't I? And one of the things that Steve says, and I really like this, I've heard it a couple places. He says that the truth of God's word is something we have to declare over our lives. We have to actually declare it. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in my experience, a lot of Christians don't really believe at the deepest core level that they are loved the same as Jesus. I think that a lot of Christians, I think you're, the people are, okay, stop. 
I think a lot of Christians don't really believe who they are in Christ. Because I'm about to send all of you to heaven and all of you are going somewhere else. I, I want us all to go to the same place. Okay. The Lord has great things for us. Okay. So I think that people believe and they believe a lie. And what did I say earlier? When I, when I, when I believe a lie, I actually am coming into agreement with it. And my agreement gives it what? Power. It gives it authority over my life. So have you ever noticed this? When you start thinking negative, how many of you know it's like, it kind of reminds me of the toilet bowl. You know, like the thing just goes down and it just goes down and down. It does, the water doesn't jump out. It just actually goes down. It actually drags you down. And when we start to think like that, it goes round and round. And pretty soon in our brains, we've got one lie, and then we've got another lie, and we've got another lie. Have you ever experienced that where if you, if you, if you believe and you walk in the lie, you actually will have a horrible day, and chances are good you're going to wake up the next day, and it's not going to be any different. And then something bad happens. Let's say you get in a fender bender or something happens that you didn't expect. <laughs> Somebody on Friday, we told a testimony about the Abbots. We had some medical stuff going on up in Minnesota, so we took a trip there, took a few days for spring break, and, and we're on our way. And, and uh, <laughs> ever heard of Murphy's Law, right? Murphy's Law is actually Christian speak for blaming, blaming. And I'll just leave it there for a little bit. Four tires on my van. Last couple of years, I've gotten two new tires. And actually three, and I went to Sam's Club before we left on Friday, and I went and got a new tire because it was kind of an old one. So got a new tire. I'm thinking, hey, I got four fresh ones. Let's go. We get out on the road. We, get, we go through Milwaukee, get out into the Waukesha area up on 94 there, and we had a <laughs> – we, unbeknownst to me, it was a, there was a faulty tire on the car. And so we, I, I'm driving, and you know that feeling when the car starts to pull to one side, you know, as you're driving? And then I start to hear a thump, thump, thump noise. I'm like, oh, okay. So I get out. I jump out there. And, of course, it's the one tire that I didn't get fixed was the one that, that broke, but I thought was good, but it wasn't. And I remember standing there going, because some other things had gone wrong in my day up to that point, and some other things were going into my life. And I remember very distinctly thinking, I have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. I can go, come on, God, where were you? Because an orphan, sorry, an orphan, an orphan will often blame God for the things that happen in their circumstantial life. Where were you, God? How come you let this happen? But an heir, a son and a daughter of the Most High God will say, hey, I don't understand why this is happening, but I believe all things work together for good. So, had this flat tire. We were going to call the tow truck. We ended up, Sam and I are out there muscling this thing and getting it, you know, put the, that little tiny spare thing on, and we get it. I look on the thing, and we get all our tires through Sam's Club. Shameless plug on Facebook. Okay. Uh, did you know that not only did, were we able to get off the road in a safe place, but there was a Sam's Club 12 miles away from where we were located, and we got to Sam's Club, and we went through this whole thing and getting the new tire. And I don't know if you've ever been to Sam's Club to get your tires fixed, but do you know they sell recliners at Sam's Club? 
So here's six abbots just lined up on the recliners over here, waiting for the tire thing. We're walking around, did some shopping, bought some pizza, did this whole thing. And I was thinking in my mind, I could be here going, man, I can't believe we got a fat tire. Now it's going to be late. We're going to get to Minnesota. It's going to be. But instead, I'm going, you know what? I'm a son. And my father knew that this tire was going to happen. And he allowed us to go to a place close to have all this food and drink and uh, <laughs> recliners and just sitting around having a good time with the abbots. And do you know that the tire guy said that if we hadn't have had a slow leak flat like we had, that if we'd have driven farther, the whole inside of the tire was ripped up. And it was a front right tire, which means that very easily we could have been way out in the middle of Wisconsin somewhere, you know, away from anything, and the tire would have blown up. Like, literally, just shredded. And, you know, if it's a front tire, that could have been really dangerous for me and my family. You see, how we look at life, whether we're looking at it as I'm, a, I'm in the healthy family of God, right? If I'm in the healthy family of God, then even the bad things that happen, actually, God wants to work out for my good. But if I'm an orphan, I'm always going, well, I can't believe this happened. Why didn't God do this? Hey, you know what? We had a good time at Sam's Club. And we were just thanking God that we were able to be there instead of freezing on the side of a road somewhere with some, you know, mater pickup truck, tow truck or whatever. And uh, some of you get that one. (laughs) I'm in the family of God, folks. I live on planet Earth. Bad things are going to happen. But I know that my heavenly Father loves me and he's going to take care of me even when it doesn't look like good things are lining up the way they should. And I just want to encourage you. He says this. He says, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirit joins to him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father. Some of your Bibles, it says, Abba, Father. And do you know that that word that in the Greek there, that actually, it's, it's the most affectionate term that a son or daughter can say about their father. And some of you may have heard, you know, Papa or Daddy. That's actually the term that Paul writes here and says, listen, when the Spirit rises up in us, when I embrace my sonship and my daughtership in the family of God, I get to call him Daddy. I get to, you know, as you will, crawl up in his lap, and and he gets to speak this stuff to me. And then it, it even gets better. So look at verse 16. For the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter. You are special. I have great thoughts towards you. You know? (laughs) On my fridge at home, much like many of yours if you have kids, is covered with artwork and things my kids have done. And they just love putting it there because dad gets to look at it and see their awesomeness, right? And I just want you to know, like, like, your stuff is on God's fridge. Right? You maybe heard the one, if, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it, right? This idea that God actually has this passionate affection and love for you. And do you want to know why we celebrate Easter? Do you want to know why, really? It's because God not only wanted to save us from going to hell and go to spend eternity with him. But he also wanted us to have life, and he wanted you and I in his family. He actually made a way for us to have this 
reality and this truth in our life. So as we close today, the family of God, this holy trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then lots of brothers and sisters, we get to actually spend eternity together. Now, I understand some of you come from families that the thought of spending eternity with your family is probably the other destination for eternity, right? (laughs) But I want to tell you, this is not a dysfunctional family. God's family is completely healthy. God's family is completely amazing, and it's eternal. And can I just say this? When the Bible says, on earth as it is in heaven... He actually wants us to function like an eternal family. So I'm going to do my pastoral thing just for one second and say this. If you're being mean to one of your family members, you need to stop. You do. If you're holding judgment or being critical of a brother and a sister, you need to stop. Because here's the thing. Is Jesus critical of that person? Is Jesus speaking the words you're speaking over them? Because... It says he loves them the same as he loves Jesus, right? And it's Jesus' brother. So maybe sometimes when we're being critical of the body of Christ or the family of God, maybe we should consider that we're actually, I get to say the same words to them as I would say to Jesus because we're co-heirs in the family of God. Are you with me? So if you're being mean, stop it. Stop it right now. (laughs) Eternity. We get to be together for eternity. So I want to close with this. This is a a phrase, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a quote that I picked up uh, from a guy named Graham Cook. Some of you are familiar with Graham Cook. Uh, You should like him on Facebook, by the way. Graham Cook, you should follow him. Just tons of really cool things coming through his uh, Facebook feed. I picked this one up the other day. In In his book called The Art of Thinking Brilliantly, he says this, your starting place always guarantees the outcome. (laughs) Your starting place always guarantees your outcome. If you start from a bad place, the outcome is going to be what you want it to be. In other words, how I think about something, the foundation of something, is actually my destination. (laughs) He says, but if you start from the place that God is actually a Signed to that issue, to that situation, to that circumstance, he has assigned a starting place for you. The place where you can come and stand and connect. When you find that starting place and you stand in it and you embrace it and you confess it to the Father, then your outcome is guaranteed from that place. So why am I saying all this? Because I think if we would begin to declare and state the fact that I am dearly loved by God. If I start from the foundation, from the starting place that says, I am dearly loved, God really does want to have a relationship with me, that I really am his, his brother and sister with Jesus, that I am a dearly loved child of God and that he loved me so much that he sent his own son to die in my place. You see, if I can start from that place, then guess what my outcome is going to be? Because the destination is always tied to the starting line. And I would declare to you today that if we would begin to use our words and line them up with the truth of God's word and not what the enemy or my circumstances says about me, but about what God says about me, 
and my position in this healthy family, that my destination and the place where I will end up is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So let me give you a couple verses as we close. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Can we just say that together today? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. (laughs) Whatever I declare, that is what I'll have. So, God wants you free and alive. He wants you free and alive. If you are here this morning and you have never turned your life over to the sacrifice and love of Jesus Christ, you can do that today. This could be your new beginning. This can be your adoption into the family of God. That's right. In Romans 10.9, it says this, and again, with the power of the tongue and the words that we declare, it says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. <laughs> what does it say? Say it out loud. You will be saved. If you believe and you confess Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You are saved. And as a bonus, you get to be in the family, the eternal family. Amen? And then lastly, God wants you in the family. I would just encourage you to do this. Some of you in this place today, as I've been speaking, I really felt Holy Spirit say that you agree up here on Sunday, but he wants you to agree down here. And the distance between here, what's between my mind and my heart? My mouth. Between my mind and my heart is my mouth. And I would encourage you and I would challenge you this week that if anything that I've said you have trouble embracing, that is your battleground. That is the place where you need to start to declare some things from here down to here. Romans 4, 4 it talks about to declare those things that are not as though they were. You see, there's always a delay. We don't have time to go into all this, but there's always a delay. That if I embrace the truth, oftentimes, sometimes you'll feel it right away. But more often than not, when we embrace a biblical truth until there's actually the fruit of that thing, there's a gap, isn't there? You know what this gap is called? Faith. Right? So I may, okay, I'll I'll close with one story. And this is going to throw your theology way out. Some of you is going to mess you way up. But how many of you know Joyce Meyer? Do you know Joyce Meyer's? Okay. So how many of you like Joyce Meyer? Okay, she's, she's a pistol, man. She can lay some truth out there, and she says it in a really awesome way. So just really some good things. So Joyce Meyer, as she got saved and God began to move in her, uh, she was a smoker. She smoked a lot, apparently. And God began to raise her up, and she would begin to go to places and speak as, you know, like a big speaker, guest speaker and everything. And God was really starting to use her, but she still struggled with smoking, but so, like, she, after she would speak at a big thing, she would sneak out the back and go to her car and open the door and get in and lay down in the back seat of the car and smoke. 
And she'd be smoking, laying down in the backseat of the car. But here's what she did, and this is the key. I really believe this. She would lay in the backseat smoking, hiding from everybody, and she would say this, I have freedom in Christ. All, all of my addictions are broken in Jesus' name. <laughs> and so, and, but she started to declare that she was free before she was free. See, sometimes we wait for God to do something, and I think he's waiting for us to do something. And I want to just challenge you with this. If some of these areas of your life are lacking in, you, you, you got the truth, you heard it, heard it, you heard it. <laughs> I just did Tennessee there just for a second. Um, <laughs> the truth is up here. You heard it today. It came in your ears. It was rattling around in your brain. God wants you to get it down here. And sometimes that journey between the declaration and the fruit is faith. So here's what I would do. If you have an area of your life that is in death or you have orphan thinking, begin to declare the truth of God before it actually happens. If you went out to an apple tree right now and you walked up to an apple tree and you were wondering what kind of tree it was and the tree could talk, the tree would say, hey, I'm an apple tree. And you'd look at it and go, I bind you and those lies in the name of Jesus because I don't see any apples, <laughs> right? right? No. Is an apple tree an apple tree whether it has fruit or not? Of course it is. In the winter, there's no apples. If an apple tree is really young, is it still an apple tree? Of course it is. It's still something even though the fruit hasn't really come out yet. And I would just, I would just say to you today, let's declare I'm a son and a daughter of God. Begin to declare, I am dearly loved. Go to Romans 8 and just pray the whole thing. Declare it every day of your life. If you're struggling with addictions in some way, you just declare, I am free in Jesus. I mean, the verses are right there. We just read them. I am free. <laughs> in the back seat, right? Do you know that she doesn't smoke anymore? And again, I'm not doing any condemnation thing. I'm just saying she wanted to be free from everything. And she declared it and declared it until it was true. Guess what? You're an apple tree. Declare you're an apple tree. And eventually you're going to start to be fruity. Amen? Stand to your feet. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply. I mean, come on. Let's do that. All right. Put your hand on your heart as we close today. And let's just declare this. Say, Lord, I am your son. I am your daughter. I am in the family. These are my brothers and sisters. When I accept you, I get to be a part of all this. I am free. I am whole. I am healthy. And I am a truly and dearly loved child of God. Amen. Now give the Lord a hand clap. Just bless him today. Lord, we agree. We agree. We agree today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. Now go live everything we just talked about. In Jesus' name.
When I was a little boy, when I was just a boy, the devil called my name. 